six. You know, it's my choice. I get to pick a proverb. Today's 28th. And so here's the one I chose for us for today. He who leans on, trusts in, and is confident of his own mind and heart is a self-confident fool. But he who walks in skillful and godly wisdom shall be delivered. That's the amplified version. And uh, you might, might remember a month or so ago, one of the children's memory verse was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, lean not on your own understanding, trust in the Lord with all your ways. It, it, it basically is the flip side of this scripture. Anyway, so that's all I'm going to do. Today, I had planned to be in the Christmas story. And um, it, I've been looking forward to it for a long time. But in my study time, I really felt like the Lord saying, nope, one more day on relationships. So today we're going to be on relationships. So I'm going to remind you where we've been on relationships. The first week, we talked about the real housewives of Philippi. Then uh, week two, we talked about a couple of big mistakes, about throwing away somebody else's heart and using a big scooper when it comes time to hand out mercy and grace. Third week, we talked about responsibilities to one another. another. And then in the fourth week, we talked about peace, having peace in a megastorm. Today, which I think is the last day in relationships, we're going to talk about toxic relationships. Toxic relationships. You know, people in your life can be either your greatest spiritual asset or they can be your biggest spiritual curse. They, can, they may be somewhere in the middle place, but they have the ability to be your best asset, or they can be a huge spiritual curse in your life. You know, People who are assets are people that you'll find that will lift you up, they'll encourage you, they, they, they have your best interest in heart, and it seems like when you're with them, when you're, when you're done, you'll feel encouraged and lifted up, you'll be, you'll be encouraged. And, and, and the people at the other end of the spectrum, the people that enter the curses, they're, they're, dis- they're distracting, they're destructive, they gossip, they're discouraging, nothing's ever good enough, they're griping, they're tempting you to do things. After you're with them, you feel worse. Now, it's holiday season and families get together and I don't know about you, but is it possibility that somewhere in your family you have a family psycho? <laughs> okay. The chuckles tells me that you speak my language, you know what I'm talking about, you all are probably thinking you have a family psycho. I don't know if that's a spiritual law or something, but every family has, has at least one psycho in it. I don't know if that's true or not. If you don't think your family has a psycho, you might be the psycho. <laughs> so, um, w- <laughs> I, my family doesn't have... Anyway, so toxic. <laughs> being toxic. What is toxic? Looked it up. Anything containing or being poisonous material capable of causing sickness or even death. That's what toxic is. You know, people contain something that is very, very poisonous. The Bible calls it sin. And it's capable of causing sickness, and it's even capable of causing death. Today, in the Word of God, we're only going to have a very brief, brief Word of God. Um, it's 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-three. It says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Toxic relationships. That's an interesting, uh, it's actually a very controversial to, the, um, to theologians. It's a controversial statement. Not because anybody denies that it was said, but the quote here that Paul says, bad company corrupts good character, is actually, he's quoting a line from a play 
by a guy named Euripides. You guys all study Euripides, right? It was a, it was a, it was a play that had, let's just call it, it wasn't morally, uh, it was not a G-rated play, okay? Yet it was a famous phrase that people were using, contemporaries of Paul, and he quotes this thing. Now, obviously, the guy that wrote the play didn't think the phrase up. This phrase makes the word of God. This is God speaking. So we don't discount it because he was, he was quoting. It would be like me quoting a movie line to you that might be true, and you recognize the movie line. Nevertheless, the truth is the truth. And here God is saying to us that bad company corrupts good character. You know, it's, it's, it's counter-grained to us because I think we think that when we're around people of bad character, that we will change them because the goodness in us will get upon them. It's like we all think we're going to be Luke Skywalker and we're going to convert Darth Vader, his evil father, into the good guy at the end of the movie. I've seen the movie, and I get George Lucas's point, but we all think we're going to be Luke Skywalker. It doesn't quite work out that way. In fact, the Word of God tells us it's exactly the opposite. There is really nothing present in you and me. There is nothing inherently present in you and me that has the capability to actually go in and change and save anybody. It's not in us. In fact, what's in us is to become corrupted by what's around us, apart from the spirit of the living God. Um, I had this cute story. It's cute to me now. Um, In fact, it was kind of cute to me at the time, although shocking. And I don't want to be indelicate in the story, but I want you to get the full thrust of what was going on here. This is back on the clocks for Terry and Lisa probably 25 years ago. No, over 20 years ago. And at that point, our children were all very little. Our oldest son, Ben, was in kindergarten or first grade. I think it was kindergarten, yes, okay. Confirmation from the judges um, that it was kindergarten. And um, he was attending kindergarten just a short distance away from our home. And so that also gave us a, um, I'm guessing, a three-year-old. And then Joseph must have been pretty much an infant. And dinner time for us was... Not like it is now where we sit and have fellowship and talk and enjoy relationship and food. It was work, mostly for Lisa, because she would, you know, you know the production, to feed three children of that age, it's a big deal. One's in a high chair, one's screaming, one's change my diaper, and, you know, I'm out in the garage doing an important project, I'm sure. <laughs> and um, actually, that's the setting for this time. I was out in the garage, Lisa's getting the kids together, and out she comes into the garage, and she says to me, do you know what your son just said? And, um, no, honey, I'm out here. How would I know? Um, He said, and he said a four-letter word, a particular four-letter word. Worse than the one you're thinking, okay? (laughs) He says that four-letter word as a a description of dinner. So, word, dinner. (laughs) You laugh. (laughs) What did you say? She says to him. He, he, what? Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, after 20 years, the, the, the story becomes bigger and more embellished. <laughs> Nevertheless, he says this word, dinner. She comes out. You know what your son just says? She tells me. Um, okay. Well, he can't possibly know. He's never, you know, where do you hear this? So, so we go in the house. I go, we go in together, and it's... Shocking and kind of funny at the same time. It's like, okay, there's something going on here we don't know about. Why did you say that? We say to him, Ben. And he names this kid 
who is a fifth grader in the school, says to me on the swing set today, when I get home tonight, say this about dinner. <laughs> okay, do you, how many of you know who Eddie Haskell is? Okay. Okay, so Eddie Haskell had been talking to Beaver, you know, and um, the point is, is that bad character will corrupt good morals. It pollutes, it poisons, it destroys. 2 Timothy 2, verses 16 and 18 say this, though. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teachings will spread like gangrene. And it goes on to say they destroy the faith of some. Gangrene is um, kind of icky. I don't know how much you know about it, but um, it's, it's an infection. And the infection needs to be stopped but it's very difficult. It can be very difficult in the, in the, in the doctor's office to stop it. We have a, um, a friend, a, a man that we know, and probably about three months or so ago, he, um, he lives in Olympia. He says, hey, come and visit me in the hospital. I'm facing something I didn't know I was going to face. So we went and I went and visited him in the hospital. And he had had an infection on his leg. And... Um, they were just treating it at the dock, and it, there wasn't a whole lot going on. There wasn't, there, didn't, there wasn't any gangrene or anything like this. And he went into the dock for it, and the dock says, Ooh, I need you to go over to St. Pete's right now, and let's, we might need to do something about this. He got over there, they looked at it, and they said, We're taking your leg off right now. And to save his life, that was the choice. Now, he didn't realize that he had a medical condition, that was this dire. He didn't realize that today when I wake up, tonight when I go to bed, I'm not going to have a leg. But the plain and simple truth was there was an infection in there that was milling about, gathering momentum. It had, it had a purpose and a direction and a function. And unless he took the most drastic of measures to cut off that infection's ability, it would kill him. So, they took off his leg. Now, um, this story is not so much about his reaction, although it was really godly. It was like he was resigned to the fact that this was not planned. It wasn't something that he hoped or thought would ever happen in his life. But the plain and simple truth was that his life was being spared and the Lord was giving him a way out, and they caught it before it got on top of him. If not dealt with correctly, that kind of poison can spread throughout. And it, it has this capability of maiming something that was healthy beforehand and destroying it, killing it. What, what, you know, what is it about that relationship? Maybe you're thinking of one right now that you wonder that you're holding off at bay. Can you hold it off? There are three different types. I'm going to say there's probably more than three, but I'm going to give you three examples of types of toxic personalities that I've thought about. And you might think of more of them, but I'm, going to, I'm just going to go over a few of them. First, we're going to call the first one the chronically negative person. This is someone, they drag you down, they're judgmental, they're critical, they're gossiping all the time. They, um, they complain. Nothing's ever quite good enough. Think about the children of Israel. They get delivered from all those years in Egypt, and there they are, delivered by the Lord. Miraculous dinner gets delivered to them every day. Might not be pizza, but it's quail and bread. It's not too bad. And, um, and yet they say, oh, we sh- wish we were back in Egypt. They had the leeks there. They had the garlic. They got the pepperoni. They got the whole p- pizza there. And um, they complain. Those are the chronically negative. You can probably think of people in your life that, that are chronically negative. 
There's always a, something negative going on. Second point, the second kind of person, we'll call them the controllers. These are people in your life, they're overbearing, they're demanding, they're manipulative. They might even be, they could even be abusive people. Um, they, here's the thought you might think about them. You better not fill in the blank because they might get mad at you. You might have to suffer the consequence of whatever it is if you do this. Or the flip side, if you don't do thus and so, the same thing happens. They'll manipulate and they'll control. Now, I want to talk right now about the difference, just for a side issue, the difference between condemnation and conviction. Okay? Romans 8.1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The Lord never condemns the, the, the saved. He never condemns them. The Holy Spirit will convict and nudge and try to point you into something better. But that's different than the feeling of condemnation. A controlling person will want you to feel condemned so that they can get you to do and to be what they want you to be. And then there, the third, third category of people are what I would call tempters. They try to push you to do something that you don't want to do. Maybe it's sexually. Maybe it's, maybe it's people that you have to spend time with because you work there. And they craft this environment, and it's materialistic. Maybe it's sexual. Maybe it's unethical. And you know, these three different categories, um, the chronically negative, the controller, and the tempter, they sound really annoying. They sound really difficult and like a little bit, you know, just kind of those things you have to face in life. But the truth is, those characteristics can be like an infection. They can be poisonous. They can get in there, and they can corrupt good character. They can actually... I suppose taken to its end, they can kill. So I want to unpack this a little bit and say, well, what do we do about these, these, uh, these circumstances of life? Because our goal in life isn't to run away and hide from people. Honey, I need water. Please, thanks. It isn't to run away and hide from people. It's to position ourselves so that we're available to be used by the Lord. Excuse me, I need a drink of refreshing water. Sorry, I'm such a child. They shouldn't. Nobody in their right mind would hand me a microphone. I don't know why this happened. It's to so we need to position ourselves spiritually strong enough and capable of really being used by the Lord. It makes me think of like the airplane ride we were just on. Have you seen the speech? You know the speech. The stewardess sit up there and they I, I, they got to be humiliated doing and you know and all that stuff that they do. But there is a story behind all that. There's a reason behind all of that. In the case that those things drop out of the ceiling, you're going to wish you would have paid attention, right? But there's a guideline there. There's a reason. And they say to you, if you're traveling with somebody, put your own mask on first. That seems so selfish. But the plain and simple truth is that if you lose your ability to help, you're no good to them or yourself. Put your own mask on first. So I want to talk to you a little bit about things that you can do to keep yourself safe and, and, and to get yourself in the place where you truly are capable of making the difference that you need to make. Two things you can do. First off, I want to say the first thing we should do is that we need to learn to set healthy boundaries. Now, I'm going to define healthy um, in this way. Not only does it protect you, but it provides a pathway for that person to follow into righteousness. Let's define healthy as not only healthy for you, but it provides them a pathway to follow as well. You know, even Jesus, even Jesus 
set boundaries at times. You know, some of them are very, very stern boundaries that he set with people who loved him and followed him and were partners with him. Peter's a good one. Remember, Jesus is telling Peter about giving him a picture of what's going to happen, and it doesn't look pretty. And Jesus says, no, no way. I'm not letting you, letting you do this. And there's this famous rebuke, and Jesus looks at Peter and says, Satan, get behind me. Wow. I mean, that's a, he slammed him down pretty good. And the point was this. Jesus was establishing, do you think that that was a good boundary? There was a very clear boundary around there. Jesus sets this boundary, and he says, no, 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 no. Wrong side of the line, my friend. You don't understand. We're not going to go there. You have to be willing with a loving heart to set boundaries. And your tone in your heart will, will determine whether or not you've left a pathway for that person to follow you. I'm going to suggest to you some phrases that I hope will help you figure out how to set boundaries for people. Because setting boundaries with difficult people can be very challenging. Very challenging. Here's a phrase. Um, let's just say you're with someone and they're, they're, they're involved in there's gossip going on. It's destructive. It's, I don't know what, by the way, something being true doesn't mean gossip is okay. If the purpose behind the commentary is not loving, truly loving, it's just destructive behavior and you shouldn't participate in it. So how about a phrase like this? You know what? I'm not going to let you involve me in that or I can't participate in that. Let me give you a practical application. Um, We met here, Lisa and I met with the church leadership, as many as we could gather, maybe a month and a half, two months ago, on a Sunday after church, we had a meal together, and I just kind of wanted to talk to people about how I wanted relationships to be uh, fostered, what kind of standards for relationships I wanted in the church. And I started with the leadership, and I might as well just share this with you. I really don't think that we need to have any gossip going on in the church. And I'm not bringing this to you because I think it's present, But I just think that it's really good for us to have real clear guidelines about this. There shouldn't ever be a time where um, one of you comes to me and you want to tell me something that's wrong with some other person. Now, I'm not talking about a circumstance where you need to get to your pastor and you need some counsel and so forth, but I'm talking about something different. Here's what you need to know. If Lisa comes to me and she says, now Eric's not here for me to um, use an example, so I'm going to pick on my friend Mike Nelson. If Lisa comes to me <clears throat> and she says, you know what that Mike Nelson did to me? Blah, 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 blah. I'm going to say, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Matthew 18 says that if he's, if he's done something to hurt you, honey, you need to go right to him. I'll go with you. I know Mike. I know his heart would want to be to make things right with you. I will help you, uh, but uh, let's go together and let's handle this correctly. And if, if she won't do that, you need to know this. If you say these things to me, now this sounds pretty extreme because this is my wife, but you know, um, you need to know that Mike's my friend and I'm going to tell him everything you've said. Believe me, when you draw that kind of a boundary, gossip will stop. But here's the fruit of it. That man back there never needs to worry that I'm going to let people around him devour him behind his back. I'm just not going to let it happen. And if, to, to the, as much as I can, can possibly push that issue, I want that environment for everybody here. There shouldn't be anybody here who serves in the nursery or attends the church or as an usher or as a singer who has to wonder whether somebody behind him is devouring them, him or her for lunch. It just isn't right. So you draw a boundary, a loving boundary, a loving boundary. Okay, so um, thank you both for being um, guinea pigs in my, my deal. 
I am. Um, the other thing about boundaries, I'm kind of embarrassed about this because I was a little bit extreme. I was a new Christian, and uh, we were planning our marriage. And the guy who was my best friend, who was also a young Christian, um, I have to watch the time because I'm going long here, <laughs> um, <clears throat> was, um, he was my best man, and he was planning a bachelor party for me. Now, I had a history before B.C., okay? Um, and beer was involved in my history. And for me and my pals, we didn't really need much of a reason to have another party. Hey, sun came up today. Oh, well, we better have a party. You know, I was like, and um, I knew, I knew that this was going to become prime A number one reason for another big old beer blast. Oh, Terry's getting married. I'm going to be the best man. I got to put on a bachelor party. Party! It's required of him. And so I said to my friend, who was my best man, I don't want this to become another reason for a beer party. In fact, you're going to do that, aren't you? He said, yep. I said, I'm not coming then. I never went to my own bachelor party. (laughs) Now, I probably did the right thing, but at the same time, my desire to do the righteous thing was somehow draped in self-righteousness a little bit too much. And I did not leave for my friend a pathway of escape to follow me into something better. And so I drew a boundary there that was a little bit too, there was too much razor wire on it, if you follow me. There are all kinds of things where, um, that I'm going to give examples of, but I'm not going to go into them. I'm going to mention, so, so like, where are some boundaries that need to happen in your life? Okay, here's one. Contacts with your former boyfriend or girlfriend. You're married now, you don't need to fi- be finding out on Facebook what's going on in your former boyfriend or former girlfriend's life, Okay. Sexting. What's that, you ask? You know what texting is, right? You send a message from one cell phone to another. It's just a typed message. Sexting is similar, except you use the camera, and the pictures aren't appropriate. It's common. It's going on in our high schools and our junior highs right now, more than you, wish you, more than it, more than you realize. Okay? <laughs> Parents' jaws. Okay, put your jaws back up. <laughs> I'm sorry but to, to bring that to you, but I want to mention that. Those kinds of things, if you get wind of that, they need to stop, obviously. Dating with someone who wants to become physical. It's another place for a boundary. You have to mean it, by the way, when you set the boundary. Um, there was this, this high school girl who a guy asked her out for a date, and he, she said, no, um, I have to wash my hair that night. So he believed it. And then a week later, he asked her out again, and said, um, would you go out with me? And she said, no, I have to clean my room. And of course, he believed it again. But he kept after it, and now she's my wife. (laughs) 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 So I'm not really sure what kind of a boundary that was, honey, but... um, Ten years old. Ten, no, sure. (laughs) She wasn't ten years old. Um, But there are times, too, when people around you will just not respect the boundary. The level of toxicity is just too high there. And they're not, because what, then what do we do? Well, that's step that's available to us, is step number two, and that's to cut off the toxic relationship. Now, I need to make a note right now. I'm not talking here about divorce. I'm not talking about you divorcing your wife, your husband, or your family. That's not what I'm talking about here. So don't send me emails. 
Don't run home and cut off 27 people out of your life after the message today, okay? Um, I, I, think, I think I want to talk about, let me give you an example of cutting things off inappropriately. In my role, I get a chance to, 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 to meet with people and to counsel people, and um, many times it's couples. And uh, there is a disturbing trend I've noticed over the last couple of years where a couple who has really struggled, but they're really trying to sort their issues out and, and, and hold their marriage and press into a good, fruit-filled, joy-filled marriage. But there's stuff that got them where they are. And their children, their grown children, have seen some of the fireworks. You got the picture so far? The disturbing trend is this, that I'm seeing more and more these grown children saying to either their mother or their father, if you get back with that guy, I'm done with you. You'll never see me again. Or saying, if you get back with her, you will never see your grandchildren again. That's not an appropriate cutoff, by the way. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. You know, cutting off a family member is probably the only time that that's appropriate, in my opinion, is in extreme circumstances where there's abuse involved. I mean extreme. And you have to, to, to do something to physically protect yourself. I, I get that. What we need to do where the family's involved, especially, is we need to go to a doctor. When there's that kind of, of, of broken relational interaction going on, it's time to get professional help. There's nothing wrong with good, competent professional help. Okay, I, you know, I... I, I give you a quick one um, where Lisa and I are concerned. We have an extended family member who, with a real problem with alcohol. And when our children were little, this person would drink, and in the evenings, you couldn't talk. It was a woman, couldn't talk to her. And um, she just became abusive emotionally with her words. And when your children are this age, they have no idea what's going on. But at a certain point, they start noticing how people are treating each other, and they don't understand it. And we could see the breaking going on. And at a certain point, Lisa and I had to sit down with this person and say, you know, we love you. We're going to keep loving you. We'll keep having a relationship with you no matter what. But when you, when you drink, and this is where you, where, how you behave, it will hurt our children. And so when you're doing that, you're not going to see them around. We want to help you, and we provided this person with help. And she's not drinking today. Praise God. Praise God for that. And I don't, we got professional help in, in that. The point is, there's an example of a cutoff that was done with love and with a right heart and with motivation. And so far, it seems to be producing fruit. Another area of, of cutting off is not getting there in the first place. I just make a quick comment about not becoming unequally yoked. If you're in a dating circumstance, don't be dating someone who doesn't follow the Lord. You're just asking for trouble. If you're going to get into a business partnership, don't get yourself into a business partnership who doesn't love God because your motives and your reasons will come into conflict. Unethical business partner, just stay away from that. I had a circumstance a long time ago when I worked in this huge corporation and um, 
And I was hiring this company that was this moving company, and they would come in and they would. We, I worked for for a huge corporation, and there were always office moves, things being shut down and opened up, and we would be moving furniture from here to there. And I was supervising all of these big organizational changes that were going on, and so I had to hire companies. I hired this this uh, this company in Tacoma to to come in and move desks from A to B, and I had them had several of their crews and their trucks busy every day, all day long. It was a lot going on all over the the area. And it had been going on for a very long time, and I developed a relationship with this guy. And one day he says to me, hey, um, you going to go to the football game? I said, no, I hadn't thought about it. He says, well, here, here's two tickets. And it was back when the Seahawks actually got into playoffs in the kingdom. Remember that? So I went to one or two playoffs games. This guy had given me a couple of tickets. They were nice tickets. And we continued our business relationship. It wasn't a bribe or anything. And he got to know me over time. And then at one point he says, hey, I want to send you on a hunting trip. Really? Now, I was a hunter at the time. We would do a lot of hunting, deer hunting, elk hunting. You guys know about animals and how we guys have to go do this, right? You know what I'm saying? And he kind of knew what was really my interest. And he was going to send me on a guided grizzly hunt in Alaska. It was kind of like my dream hunt. You can look it up right now. At that time, a guided hunt like that was probably about $15,000. It was going to be a gift. <laughs> I realized then that I needed to do, I needed to run for the door, even if Potiphar's wife was grabbing my cloak on the way out. Do you follow me on that? There was an issue there of being way, way, way over the line ethical, ethically. And where I said to this guy was, I said, you know what? I can't do business with you anymore. I can't do business with you. We've had a great relationship. Your company does a great job. But this offer to pull me on the wrong side of an ethical line has now created a gulf between us like the Grand Canyon. I can't go there. The cutoff for Christians, especially, needs to be extremely rare. I'm just about done. We're about to wrap up here. You know, I think that when you're a brand new Christian and you're surrounded by people who don't know the Lord and there are a lot of lifestyle issues and a lot of choices that are being made and you just can't participate in that, then your frequency of of the cutoff might be more frequently. And I think also when you're a younger Christian, maybe you've been a Christian for a while but you're in your 20s, the environment there, there's more toxicity maybe that's obvious and present. And so the cutoff might be more frequently if you're younger or if you're a new Christian. But for those of us who've been around for a while, the cutoff needs to be extremely rare. Extremely rare. Nevertheless, it needs to be in our tool bag because toxicity can kill us. It can kill us. So you all heard me say, don't run out the doors today and go cut off 27 people in your lives, right? Right? Okay. So you do this. What do you, why do you draw these boundaries and why do you do the cutoff? It's not so that you can run off and be protected and become a hermit in life. It's, it's so that you can be so full of God. You can be so full of the power of the Spirit. You can be so in tune with His voice that you have the ability to actually be a useful tool in His hands to really make a di- difference in people's lives. You need to be able to hear from the Spirit of the Lord. You need to be able to hear and set those boundaries with wisdom and with love. I want to pray over you and um, 
This isn't the kind of message where you say to people, hey, open your heart to the Lord. If you've never opened your heart to the Lord, I do want to say this to you. If you have never opened your heart to the Lord, that is the first relationship to get right in your life. Get that one right now. The word says, if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. If you've never opened your heart to the Lord, I encourage you to make that decision today and to share it with somebody. I want to pray over all of us because present in us, in all of us, we carry some toxicity around with us too. We need to not only think how do we protect ourselves, but we need to consider where is it that we ourselves need to maybe take a step back with the things that we're doing that are maybe toxic to people around us. And that can be hard to do. I want to pray that the Lord would show us that and would give us, give us grace. Would you just take a posture of prayer and, um, and let's let the Spirit maybe speak to us. God, thank you, Lord, for uh, granting to us some sense of seeing your hand at work relationally. I believe, Lord, that you put us in relationships to shape our own hearts. So first, Lord, we say that to you. Where we are toxic in our relationships, grant to us mercy, Lord. We Forgive us, we pray. But also show us, Lord, how it would be that you would cause us to change. And Lord, now I ask for wisdom. First off, not to label people. As we've talked about people who are controlling or chronically negative or tempters, Lord, I don't mean to paint people and to label them, but only to be able to describe the circumstances Now, God, with those kinds of issues in our lives, I pray for wisdom that the Spirit might speak to people, that you would grant to us favor, God, because some of these people who are toxic in our lives are really close to us. We love them, God. We can't cut them off, yet, Lord, we don't want to be polluted by what's going on. So, Lord, grant wisdom, grant favor. I pray, Lord, for people in this room who might be brokenhearted at this moment because the examples have painted them into a corner that just seems there seems to be no release. I want to pray, Lord, right now over relationships. I want to pray over marriages in this room. I I ask God for a visit of your spirit. You, You mandated, you invented the institution of marriage. There was something of joy, something of hope, something of promise in your heart present, Lord, when you said, okay, it's not good for a man to be alone. And that you that you would cause uh, them to leave their parents and to become one. Lord, I pray, Lord, over marriages in this room and I ask God for them to rise to the place of blessing and promise that heaven had hoped from the very beginning. And Lord, I want to pray for people in this room who are single. Maybe because that's just their, their, their position in life for now or maybe because their mate has come home to be with you. Either way, Lord, I want to pray over people who aren't married, and I ask God for the same kind of grace, for the same kind of sustaining, caring, loving power to be in their lives of companionship. Your word says that you will become the husband of of the widowed, that God, that you each day see from heaven our needs and provide. You are Jehovah Jireh. Lord, where there are some really difficult conversations in our todays and tomorrows of boundary drawing, help God dial up the love that you have for those people. Grant to us the right way to say the right words without pulling the wrong triggers, God. Grant to us the maturity to do it in love, even though we're hurt. I want to pray, Lord, for people in this room that are hurting right now because somebody else 
has gone nuclear on them and done the cutoff, and they shouldn't have. I want to pray for people in this room whose children have said, you're just not going to see me anymore because of A, B, and C. Lord, if the reasons are because of issues within our control that we need to change, then show us that. But God, I also ask for a restoration of relationships. I ask God for mercy. I ask for a softening of hearts. And if there's anybody here in this room who has cut off someone and they ought not to have, Lord, grant the opportunity in humility and love to reopen a door that needs to be opened. I pray for restored relationships. Lord, we've been on relationships for a number of weeks. Some of this has been protective. Some of this has been to motivate and challenge us to rise to something new. But God, all of it has to do with us being your sons and daughters used in your hands. I pray, Lord, that the people in this church family would be known not only for being the friendliest church around, but God, also for the most loving. Let it rise up within us, God, that we love the people around us even when they're hurting us. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, stand to your feet. Would you stand to your feet?